It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Performance, as I say, in a really important point in the end. And it was nice to see United not lose at Anfield. It, it was a, I wouldn't say it was a great performance. It was certainly a, a good defensive performance. There was some, uh, the, the back, back four, back five, uh, barely put a foot wrong defensively. The, the presence of, of Varane, I think it was apparent during the, the Bayern Munich game, um, how effortlessly he slotted into the left centre-half role. Uh, he was excellent yesterday. Absolutely correct to give him the man of the match. Johnny Evans, I think again, uh, he's he's been. You've seen the benefit of having a grown up in the team this season. He's thirty five, but he he really does use that experience to the absolute maximum. Both of them, very good communicators, very good organisers, and really United, where they were underpinned by such a solid base against a, a, an admittedly. Um, uninspiring Liverpool attack. You, you wonder whether Liverpool, there was an element of complacency about them or whether they just lacked that spark. It felt like they were devoid of, of a bit of creativity at times. And United did have some some good openings uh, on the transitions and the odd counter-attack. And Ten Hag was very measured in his post-match analysis and that he, he did say that he was proud of the performance, but he did mention unprompted the opportunities they wasted when they had good goal scoring opportunities they had in in his opinion and and I would agree with him that the two best chances of the game and one of those chances Alejandro Garnacho uh, did, didn't even get a shot off uh, unfortunately for him and with Rasmus Holland I'm sure we'll come in come to that later on it's it's what you see is what you get and it, it was I don't think anybody really had any belief that he was going to score uh, with that opportunity but the, the starting point going into the game just how what a dire state United were in and, and the humblings they've had at Anfield in recent years and the record they've got at Anfield. And again, they didn't score, but they have had a few during this sequence of nine without a win there. They have had four nil-nil draws now and some one or two of those nil-nil draws, I think supporters rude miss opportunities there. But this one was more, it, it felt a bit more similar to uh, the, the goal of Troy and Mourinho's first season on the Monday night where they went there with a with a plan to contain Liverpool and try and uh, get opportunities on the counter-attack. And that, that was the way they had to play yesterday. They weren't going to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. They weren't going to roll over for them. Um, you can put Virgil van Dijk's comments post-match down to him being a bit, you know, the, the dust is is far from settling and he's going to be a bit peaked that Liverpool have squandered an opportunity to take three points. But I don't think, I think now in the cold light of day, he'd probably accept that what he said was was inaccurate. This whole thing that Liverpool are the only time, team trying to win. You can't expect teams to go to Anfield and roll over. I mean, City have tried it a number of times under Pep Guardiola to go there, play expansively, and they've got they've got a spanking um, quite a few times. And going back to Fergie's Sir Alex Ferguson's time, uh, United very uh, very very rarely played carte diem football at Anfield. They've their best performance there in the last 25 years was under Louis van Gaal. And they've not won at Anfield by two clear goals since 1997. It is not a ground where you go and you, you steamroll a Liverpool, whatever type of Liverpool team that you're coming up against. 
never mind one that is uh, is certainly a growing force again this season. Yeah, I think it's fair to say those comments were just stupid, weren't they? Quite frankly, uh, from Van Dyke. But as you've said, <laughs> in the after the game straight away, players say some questionable things, and and that's understandable. Um, yeah, Liverpool dominated the ball, Samuel. I think they had around 70% possession in the end, but they didn't really do much with it. Um, there was a few decent chances that they wasted. I think if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be pulling my hair out watching Darwin Nunes. Um, just keeps yes. on flattering to deceive. He's uh, agent of chaos, isn't he? I think that's what people are calling him at the moment. And you can definitely see that. Um, but as you've said, United had that chance. I think the biggest one was the Highland moment, wasn't it? As you said, mm. Um he has to, I guess, fire that into the roof of the goal or try to. And his, his shot was straight at Allison. People said it was a good save, but realistically, he just no. stood his ground and exactly, and he denied him that way. I mean, that was very disappointing because, look, United defended well, and yet they could have won the game if if Highland had put that away. If if they had more incision about them, they they could well have, have nicked it. And watching that Highland chance back, his his first touch is not. It's not good enough, you'd say. He does get the ball out of his feet, but he doesn't get it out of his feet enough. But the second touch, the, the shot, is the problem. He actually hits the ball into the ground. I know it's his, his weak foot, but it's there where if you get flush contact on that, you, you're you probably posing a, a question or a more thorough examination of the keeper. He, he actually hit the ball into the ground and... A striker, look, we, we are not, you, you've seen my shoes in five aside. <laughs> we're, we're not expert finishers by any stretch. But if you're looking at it objectively, just as a punter, a money nice striker at Anfield, you're not going to get many chances and you've got to anticipate that chance coming your way and you've got to be ready for it. And he wasn't ready for it. And unfortunately, it was true to form. And we've, we've spoken chapter and verse about Hoyland and the, the merits of spending £72 million on a 20-year-old 20, 20 who's played in Denmark, Austria and Italy and has a mediocre goal-scoring record and whether that's going to be enough this season. We all sensed in the summer that it wouldn't be enough for United given that goals were hard to come by for them this season. And they've been harder to come by this season. They've not scored in their last three. And it is unfair, the burden on Hoyland. He, he should not be leading the line for Manchester United. He, he could become a terrific striker in time. But I think he's had 13 appearances in the Premier League this season. Nine or ten of them, I would imagine, have been starts. And it's not there's there's been this myth peddled by some some sympathisers, I suppose, that he's not had the service. And yesterday it was interesting before kickoff, he, he gathered Garnacho and Anse. It was almost as if you know, caption competition. What, what what could he have been saying? Like give give, give me the ball That's once the ball. every now and then. Give me a cross, please. But he has had some excellent chances in the Premier League this season. I think there were two or three against Palace in the defeat. There were three at Sheffield United. There was the one on one that he's that, that really. You know, he showed his, his naivety and his inexperience against Manchester City. Uh, he had two great chances against Luton. Yesterday was a great chance. So already you're pushing pushing double figures for good to great or glaring chances in the league and he's still not got a goal. And you have to be judged as a Manchester United striker on, on your output, on your goal scoring output. And he's he's not been doing it. But we all know that come West Ham on Saturday, provided he's fit, he will start as he should do because the alternative is Anthony Marshall and it is, it's utterly inadvisable to be starting Anthony Marshall ahead of any Manchester United forward at the moment. And and that's the, the paradox of, of it. They, the alternative is Marshall. Uh, so they have to persist with Hoyland and just hope eventually the ball goes in off his 
backside or the goalkeeper smacks the ball, you know, a clearance hits him and, and goes in, something like that, which you know, his first goal was a deflection against Bayern Munich, but he has scored some, I mean, certainly the second goal against Galatasaray, it was a very singular finish. So we have seen him in certain um, moments where that potential that United have talked about, that rough diamond that they have, it, it really has shone, particularly with that second goal, the way he just... He got the ball on the halfway line pretty much, didn't he? And he's sped away and he made a two-on-two, a one-on-one, then it's just a, a terrific finish. So he has got it in his locker, but he needs, he really needs that goal in the Premier League because it, you know, it's it's bad enough that he's he's going to go to within two days of Christmas without a Premier League goal. If it's past Christmas without a Premier League goal, the scrutiny is just going to become more and more intense. And you, you do feel for him at times because he's... he's He's trying his heart out. The commitment is unquestionable. He went down with cramp and added time yesterday. Of course, he joined the club carrying an injury that he had to, um, that there was a, a month long recovery for that. So, ever since he's come to the club or since before he's come to the club, the pressure has already been there. And the pressure has just been building and building and building because he's not. He's not scoring in the Premier League, and United's position in the Premier League is um, is it's unbecoming of, of, of Manchester United. Whatever stage of the season they're, they're, they're seventh now, that the situation is obviously salvageable. But in order to salvage that situation, as simple a statement as it is, they need to score goals, and they are really, really struggling to score goals. And that was apparent again yesterday, where, as I said, that the defensive performance was excellent and. They they defended impeccably. They were really really on top of their game. Liverpool had an off day, of course, and United were going to need that. But when you go to Anfield and you have those performances where you know it's going to be about containment, you've really got to be hoping that your forwards do their job. And it wasn't just Hoyland; the other forwards didn't. Well, that's didn't what really I was going to say. Right either. Is it not forgotten how young these players are? I mean, we've talked about how raw Hoyland is. He's still only twenty years old. He's a long-term prospect, etc. Ganacho on the left side; he's nineteen. Mm. Hoyland's twenty, and Anthony's twenty-three. I know we can get into that debate of when he's actually not young anymore. Uh, and we've mentioned that on the podcast a few times. But yeah. as a as a front three, they still are very young. I think if you probably look at the teams that were fielded uh, this weekend in the Premier League, surely United's attack was the youngest. 23, 20 and 19. When I, I was thinking about that last night, watching match of the day, and I was thinking about the other teams, and I can't pull any team out that would have a younger attack than that. And I think that's got to be factored into the, the assessment of it, really. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It, it does absolutely, and but again, we go back to the point that I mean, Garnacho obviously came to the academy um, and and was a just a really really good find given the stratospheric rise he's had and what an important player he's become um, for United already and what a spectacular player he is at times as well. But the club did invest seventy two million pounds in Hoyland and one hundred eight sorry and eighty six point three million whatever it was on on Anthony. So that's that's 150 which again I go back to the point with Hoyland I do think and I said I probably said it before he'd even had a kick for United it is unfair on him that he's put in this position where he is 
not so much thrust into the limelight, but he's 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 very much the, the he's at the tip of the arrow uh, of a Manchester United attack in a season where I think supporters would have looked at it and thought, okay, if you finished third last season, you you want to climb up the ladder. So if you if you want to get up to second at the very least, you've got to think, well, can we challenge for the title? So I think at the start of the season, although it still felt like they were sure, that has to be the aim, the intention. And they were never going to do that with a striker who had come in with a mediocre at best goalscoring record in, in Italy. And that they needed someone more proven. And you look at that finish yesterday, a reliable goal scorer, a, a seasoned goal scorer, they would have been a lot cuter with their finish against a keeper as good as Alisson. And whether he's overthinking it, whether he's rushing it, unfortunately for Hoyland, it's it's the finish of, of a callow 20-year-old who's not got a goal in the Premier League this season. The fact that he actually mishits it. I think with Garnacho, the interesting comparison there, and it's, it's just jogged my mind now, that yesterday I think was his 11th start in a row for United. Now, when Ronaldo, and I think this is a fair comparison given the, the hype around them, the potential, uh, even if the, you know, I, I don't think anyone of us are saying just yet that Garnacho's ever going to emulate Cristiano Ronaldo. It's far too early to make that prediction. But in terms of the age and the timing, the way they've been nurtured at the club, there are similarities there in their position. Um, Ronaldo, I mean, Garnacho's 19. Ronaldo would have turned 19 in February 2004. After he turned 19 in that his first season at United, 03-04, the most games he starts in a row were three. And they were the final three games of that season. You go into the next season as well. And I think he missed the start of that because he was at the Olympics with um, with, with Portugal in, in Athens. So while he's 19, the most matches he starts in a row for Manchester United are one, two, three four, five, six, seven, and the eighth came on his 20th birthday. So that's eight starts in a row. Garnacho's already broken that. And that Ronaldo stretch, by the way, just looking at it on, on soccer base, that that's an anomaly. Uh, before that, it's the, the most uh, three starts on the spin or two starts in succession for whatever reason coming into January 2005. Um, he, he got into the team and, and Ferguson decided to, to keep him in it over a long stretch and it, it, towards the end of it, his, his last game as a 19-year-old was when he scored twice for United and a four, very famous 4-2 win at Highbury. So it's interesting just looking at that, that literally as a 19-year-old, he, he never he never started as many games as, as Garnacho has for United. And Garnacho is he's still quite a young 19-year-old. I think he turns 20 in, in June or July. So there's possibly an element of overplaying him and the fixture schedule has been congested. It's it's about to become a lot more relaxed for United for a number of reasons, particularly in January. I mean, there's a there's a danger that they could actually have just just two matches in January, which is is bizarre, but that's that's a quirk of the calendar. So I think with Garnacci you can cut him a bit of slack, and I think he has made decent progress over this over this period. He has looked more mature, he has scored some really good goals. He's Obviously, Everton, it was an absolute wonder goal. Anthony is the one who doesn't get cut any slack. And I'll, I'll, I'll make your mind up for you. He's he's not a young player. You can't say that a 23-year-old is who's got the experience, the relative experience that he's had of playing in the Champions League for two clubs, two big clubs in Ajax, Manchester United, and is, um, the, 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 you know, is, is a 100 million euros player. You lose that status quickly. 
and I mean Ten Hag was also people forget early on in his United career when he he was getting goals and he's I think he scored in his first three Premier League games, didn't he? And Ten Hag was actually quite uh, com- constructively critical of his performances because the goals and this was the sense we had after his debut that he scored against Arsenal, United won, but. He actually was. He wasn't that good. His the performances performance weren't was, that good, but obviously, no, goals, the goals. Were, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The goals were were masking it, and Ten Hag nailed it with his um, with his analysis of it. Yesterday, I mean, in the press room at Anfield, of course, the, the, the West Ham Wolves game was on, and there we are watching a left-footed um, former Ajax forward tearing it up for for West Ham, and Mohamed Kudus has already scored more Premier League goals than Anthony. And he only arrived in the summer. And you look at the way he operates, he looks far more suitable for the Premier League than Anthony. There are people in in the agency circles who who thought, still think that West Ham are a little bit beneath him, that he could have done a lot better. I mean, from West Ham's perspective, I think they've they've brought in a, a very, very good player there who's really, he's he's very much a Moyes player as well in a lot of ways, and that he has got that physical side to him that Moyes always looks for in players but he's also you know, he, he can do a bit of he can do something special in, a, in an instant and I mean Paqueta was terrific yesterday and, and probably uh, trumped uh, Kudus's performance but he took his goals really well even if he did get a bit of help from from the goalkeeper certainly with the first one and when you look at Kudos adapting to the Premier League as well as he has and you compare him to Anthony and you think okay Anthony needs to People are going to start looking at this, especially in this week where United are playing West Ham on Saturday. And I think there's every chance it will be brought up to Ten Hag before then. Why did you Why did you not fancy Kudos? Or why, why did you go for Anthony over Mohamed Kudos? Uh, Anthony needs to be stepping it up. And I, I thought that there was a possibility that he may, might have turned a corner with a, a few performances against um, Galatasaray coming on against Newcastle. Particularly against Chelsea, he was he was good, but he's already regressed, and his use of the ball yesterday was just so consistently poor. And in fairness to him, when when Rashford was hovering on the touchline, and you've got a sense that he was definitely going to come on sooner rather than later. Ten Hag and Van der Gaag were having a chat um, in the technical area, which is always a, a telltale sign that someone is about to come on. It did seem as though Anthony noticed that and he, he got a little bit better, but he's still he's still nowhere near good enough. And the last three games, he's, he's not performed in any of them. So I think he's the one that really 18 months in at United, despite the difficulties he's had off the pitch, which have been well documented and there's, there's still not a final resolution on that as well. Um United still need a lot, lot more from a player who is essentially a senior in that team. And when he's fit and when he's he's in the in the fold, I suppose he, he he's all, almost always getting picked as well. So he's the one I I wouldn't cut any slack. And but Tomlin at number ten, you you know you're not going to get a particular minister, performance from him. Pardon? Is the prime minister now McTominay? McTominay, prime minister. McTominay at number ten. Is the penny not dropped yet? McTominay at number 10. Number 10 Downing Street, Samuel. Come on, I, I know number 10 Downing Street. But it's just the way you said it there. It just sounded like you were saying he's the Prime Minister. 
Is the Prime Minister? Did exactly I? That oh, no, no. Fruit, yeah, I expected that. That, that. that really didn't. No, no, there, there are going to be a lot of uh, listeners switching off at this point now. <laughs> uh, no, no, but he, he I mean, he, he, I suppose you'd say in terms of, of if you want to draw a leadership parallel, he, he did lead well quite early on deciding to, um, uh, when he won the toss, making Liverpool attack the cop in the first half rather than the second. That, that certainly didn't go down well with um, that end. And Ten Hag said before the game, look, he's an example. Um, he represents the badge well, and you see that with McTominay. Yeah, criticised sometimes, obviously, his ability and his ability to the midfield. He can sometimes drift through games and be quite ineffective, but you can't doubt his uh, his commitment. He's always very committed, and he, you see mm. that in his performances. They're very spirited. Uh, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back in a moment for the second part. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now we'll just get into a few more individual performances and Samuel, I know we kind of praised Varane briefly in the first part, but he was fantastic. Um, we talked about uh, Ten Hag's comments and he was a bit contradictory actually in saying that Varane couldn't play on the left, which is why Evans was starting over him yet again when the starting lineup came out. Varane was playing on the left and obviously Johnny Evans was playing on the right. Both had great games to be fair to them. I think another individual performance as well, Cobby Manion. 18 years mm. old at Anfield. He's now played at Goodison Park, St. James's Park and Anfield. And he just looks completely unfazed by it all. Um, his composure is so impressive. Um, the way he retains the ball, his passing. I think it thought he was fantastic again. He's really exciting, isn't he? Uh, May knew ever since I first watched him in the, the Youth Cup run, I, I thought he just looked a, a terrific player. Terrific to be fair to you, Samuel, do you know what? I remember when they played, was it Wolves in the semi-final of the quarter? We were both there at Old Trafford. Yeah. And obviously I was just watching Ganacho as everyone was. He was kind of the poster boy. And you turned to me at one point and you said, look at me and who there, look what he's doing. And we kind of followed them. And I remember watching him in the next game. I was like, you know what? Fair play, Samuel's right. And look, look at the look at the <laughs> not two the years. First, not for the first time. <laughs> the two years since, he really is an exceptional prospect. He, he is, and I, I remember coming back from the, the winter training camp in Cadiz uh, just just over a year ago. And in terms of the matches, there was not a lot to write home about uh, from from them whatsoever, apart from Mainu, because he came on in the first game and I think he scored a deflected goal and he did okay during a cameo against Real Betis. I just thought it's, it's probably time to to do a, a decent, a, a really thought out feature on him and just just I think even in that feature or around that, that time I thought watching him he, he looks like uh, he, he looks like he's come through the academy at Barcelona or Ajax and then Gary Neville said last month after he um, was was man of the match and then not given the man of the match award uh, puzzlingly at, at Everton that the biggest compliment he can pay to him is that he's like a Pep Guardiola midfielder 
like he's come through at City. And people at United said that yesteryear, if if he was at a certain, if he was at an older age in the academy, he, he probably would have get poached by City when when the academy, United Academy was in a state of flux, because he is completely aligned with the way um, their youngsters play and and the quality of their youngsters. So United have got a gem there and. When, when he, people saw his name in the team sheet yesterday, I don't think anybody thought oh, this is going to be a bit too much for him. The, the occasion is going to be too too great for, for, for an 18-year-old. We've seen already how how well he acquitted himself for Everton. And going into yesterday's game, I think he, he was a certainty to start. We the, the sense was always going to be that McTominay would push forward and take Fernandez's role, given that he was suspended. And then, of course, they had no choice but to play the only other midfielders available. If anything, I'd have you know, I'd have said that Mainu was more of a certainty to start than than Amrabat, or certainly more a, a worthier starter than Amrabat going on, on form and, and how accomplished he is on the ball. And he, he could very easily have had an assist if Garnacho was just a bit cuter and got his body right in front of Alexander Arnold and didn't get given the chance of just nicking the ball away. The, the pass was terrific and he played a similar one, not as defence splitting in the first half, but it certainly accelerated uh, an attack out to Anthony on the right, I think it was. And United did have the spaces to do that yesterday. That that Garnacho opportunity was worked, I think, from back to front. There were two or three really good passes, one from Varane to McTominay, one from McTominay to Mainu, and then, of course, Mainu's pass for Garnacho And what you'd say about Mainu is that his development has become a blueprint for any academy player who wants to make it in the United first team in that he was terrific in a youth cup run, won the youth cup. Then in the summer, I remember a friend saying that they went to Altrincham to watch a, a reserves friendly and they said how how much Mainu had bulked up. And of course, a young player, there will always come a point where they do need to put on some more muscle mass so that they're ready for men's football. He did that continues learning his trade in the under-23s. You probably watch him in the EFL Trophy. Goes to a training camp with the first team, does well, makes his debut the next month, training consistently with the first team, goes on tour with the first team. And he would have made his full Premier League debut much, much sooner had he not sustained that ankle injury in, in Houston against Real Madrid. The way he was the way Ten Hag was preparing in pre-season with Maynard, it wasn't to put him in the squad for this season, it was to put him in the starting eleven. He was starting against Arsenal, Real Madrid. You watched him against Lyon in, in Edinburgh. Rich watched him against Leeds in Oslo. He, he His development has been, bar that injury, uh, the, the, the one in pre-season, and he did get an injury towards the end of last season that meant he missed the, the final two months of it, so he was out for the run-in. But that was more of a de- developmental phase. It was almost work experience, essentially just training with the first team and you know, learning the ropes at a, a more competitive and, and, and senior level. And you just hope that he stays free of injury and you, you that, that he continues because he's, he's an absolute joy to watch. Uh, he's... Hopefully for United, he will be in their midfield for a long, long time because he's he's got the skill set to be a, a very, very special player for them. And we all know that Ten Hag, um, Ten Hag wanted Frankie Diong in his first summer, and he had to look at alternatives to compensate for not being able to get him. And you just said that Ericsson was probably. Um, the short-term fix with Maynu, they have possibly got a, a long-term fix. 
I mean, we've talked about his quality and what he actually offers on the ball, but his temperament as well is such a huge part of his game. I think if yeah. he is as a person, actually translates to the pitch. He's incredibly laid back, relaxed and composed. And you see that when he has the ball at his feet, even in circumstances where he's under so much pressure and feel the way Liverpool won the biggest games of the season for United. Um, I spoke to someone a while back who said to me, yeah, he's definitely going to play for England. He looked me dead in the eye and said that. And when someone mm. who knows the Runyans who says that, you, do, you sit up and listen. Um, and he's just, he's just, I think his ceiling's so high and that's why it's so exciting because his potential is that vast. We don't really know where he can go yet and it's going to be fascinating seeing him develop it over the next 18 months again because he's had a fantastic 2023. So his 2024 should be even better, I think. There's there's definitely better things to come. Yeah, um, we'll discuss that red card then, Samuel, because it was absolutely bizarre. Um, I mean, last minute of the game, Liverpool are kind of pushing for a winner. Um, Dallow and Salah kind of come together. The ball hits off Salah in the end, goes out for a throw-in. Should be awarded to United. It's not. It's given to Liverpool. Dallow kind of says to the referee, come on, mate, what are you doing? Gets a yellow card for that. And then he gets another yellow card for complaining and getting the yellow card. So he's sent off. It was double descent uh, is what it was described as. It was bizarre, wasn't it? It was It was just the most grandstanding act of refereeing by the most grandstanding referee in the league. <laughs> that's, that's what you get with him. And... You just have to look at the context of it, or not even the context, just what was going on. It's 94th minute, United are endeavouring to get a positive result, positive point at Anfield. Dallow has got one of the best forwards, one of the top scorers in the Premier League, surging into or towards United's third. He's keeping up with him. He wins a throw-in, does brilliantly to halt the attack, and the referee makes a mistake. And you've got one minute to survive to try and ensure that you see out the game. You're bound to vent. You're you're passionate. You it would be, it would the, be game, weird the game is sanitised. Exactly. If he you know. just if he just accepted it, he, he would deserve a rollicking from a teammate or a staff member for not protesting. Uh, I, I would I would never ever say if I was Ten Hag or a United staff member, I would never say to Dallow. I'd be disappointed if any United staff member said to Dallow. You need to rein it in. Don't do that again. Uh, the problem there was the referee, not not the player. Absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I don't think even. I think it was said on TV that yeah, you know, that they understood the booking for dissent for his initial reaction. I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily understand it. And if anything, it probably um, counted against Liverpool because Salah was looking to try and take a quick throw in, and the game obviously was was halted for probably a minute, best part of a minute, because it dawned on Dallow that he'd had this bizarre red card and then he he had to depart the pitch. And that was the mad thing about it. I I was under the assumption that it was a second yellow, um, having maybe I didn't see him get a yellow card earlier. And then it was clarified afterwards that no, no, it was two two yellow cards and almost two seconds. I mean, I've never a, seen that before ever. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that. Before. There was there was a um, I was on the back row of the press box and there was a a, a lad who, who was having to tell his dad. Oh, he's been sent off. Uh, like his, his dad had missed it. I think a lot of people had missed it. There was a colleague who said that um, uh, they were completely oblivious and until. One of one of their colleagues said, "I suppose you could have done without that red card at the end." And he hadn't seen it because his head was buried in his laptop, um, filing copies. So I think a lot of people who are either just resigned to it ending nil nil or heading for the exits, they they wouldn't have seen that red card at the end. And 
unfortunately, in a game that was goalless, that was almost at the end, a referee who loves making games about himself decided to do that. And of course, the glaring inconsistency there is with Darwin Nunez, who deserved his booking for um, just barging into, needlessly barging into Johnny Evans. He then punts the ball away and he applauds sarcastically the assistant, uh, the, the linesman for, for flagging for a foul. Uh, that that could have been three, that could have been three, three yellow cards. Oh. Well, look, I, I, this is the thing. Like, <laughs> I think my dad keeps on going on about, he'll say, you know, about this time. This is, I have to tell you, like, the, the whole what about by and large, is yeah. pointless because the standard of refereeing and the referees are so bad at the way they apply the rules that there is zero consistency, that there is no point comparing incidents you've just got to look at it in isolation did they get it right did they get it wrong they are so beyond help in that sense but with with the referee yesterday whose whose name I'm, I'm loath to even mention uh, I, I can imagine it's a uh, it's particularly um it's particularly well, will, regret for see. you that he's, he's he's from your he's from your neck of the My woods of the so woods. like he's he's bringing he's bringing your the geordies through the mud and <laughs> I mean, well, the, I the thing is, like, Liverpool fans were giving him stick at half-time yourselves, thinking he's he's far from United sympathiser. I think United fans probably dislike him more than than Liverpool fans. But this whole thing about, oh, we need to clamp down on dissent and what have you, you need to clamp down on bad refereeing first and foremost. And the refereeing in the Premier League, which is flush with money, which has the biggest TV ratings for, for football or soccer on the planet, uh, you need you need better referees, better officials, and they've not got them. It's the standard is, is, it's just, it's on the floor. And yesterday, as I said, that, that game was, was pretty forgettable. He tries to make it memorable just to make it about him. Yeah. Well, who's, I was going to say, who's got the bigger ego, Mark Clattenburg or Michael, Michael Oliver. So I will mention his name. And then I realised. And, and, and they're both, that, they're both. Yeah. So I thought to say they're both from the Northeast. So maybe that's your neighbours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think Clattenburg's got a tattoo of the, of the Champions League finally referee. It's like the celebrity refs Twitter account, which is. I mean, in fairness, in fairness to Clattenburg, who again, like his, his career was, was laden with, with mistakes. He, that those occasions when he was the referee for the Champions League final and the Euros final, I think he oversaw them really well. He did a better job in them than than Howard Webb certainly did in in the 2010 World Cup final, which he just didn't he didn't get control of whatsoever. And and, and he's he's known for obviously the the Nigel De Jong tackle on on Chabi Alonso that he somehow didn't deem a red card. But going back to to yesterday, I've I mean Jamie Carragher said after the game, listening to it this morning, uh, he said you know he's our best referee, and I've lost count of the amount of pundits or punters who've who've said that Oliver's the best referee in the Premier League. He's not. I don't think there is a best referee in the Premier League. They are that there's not. There's certainly not an outright good one. And if there is a good one, we won't know about them because the cliche goes that you know a good referee is one that goes unnoticed and. This lot do a very good job of being noticed. We'll stick in the northeast then, Samuel, uh, just before the end of the podcast, because you wrote the line this morning that Ineos and, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, are interested in courting the services of Dan Ashworth, who obviously is Newcastle's sporting director. Now, I think we've mentioned him a few times on the podcast. He's very well regarded in football. He had a stint with West Brom and in the FA, and of course, most recently before joining Newcastle Brighton, where he did some excellent work uh, with their transfers and, and making them into a European contenders, which is quite some achievement taking Brighton up there but um, he would be a brilliant appointment but I mean 
I want to get married to to Dua Lipa, Samuel, Margaret Robbie. But is it really? Is it realistic? <laughs> I, I think for for, for Ineos to to have you know, certainly earmarked him for a role there, they they must have some encouragement. Whether Newcastle make a counter offer or um, step up their own efforts to ensure that Ashworth doesn't go anywhere, you, you'd imagine they they would do. It's I mean it's an enviable position to be in a sporting director and that he's doing he's doing and has done a very good job at Newcastle and that the recruitment there has been it is noticeably impressive. The hit rate is in the higher percentages, whereas United's recruitment hit rate is in the low percentages. And of course, last season they had their highest finish in in twenty years, and a, a big big thing. You know, one of the big reasons for that was um, the calibre of players they signed, and of course they they did get them the choice of manager right as well, and and that was done um, before Ashworth came in. Eddie Howe came in, I think, in November twenty one. Ashworth officially started. In, in June of last year, so he's been, he's 18 months into the job. He, he has got a line of dialogue already with Sir Dave Brailsford, the, the Ineos sporting director, who, who actually gave a motivational um, uh, gave a motivational pre- presentation to to Newcastle on their preseason tour in Lisbon last year. So they are familiar with each other, and it, it's therefore it's it's logical that that Ashworth would come under consideration given that there are going to be structural uh, there is going to be sorry a structural change at United and that means new personnel in in, in key roles w- with John Murta I I certainly don't think he's going to be director of football for the long-term future for United and in fairness I was told that he, he never actually envisaged his role at the club um developing into one where recruitment would be would the, the where the bulk of his work would consist of um of re- recruitment he's obviously very experienced in an, an administrative role in in football clubs uh, having worked previously at Everton uh, under David Moyes and he's been at United for 10 years now he must have had during that time three or four different titles he's he jointly ran the academy for a period he helped recruit the women's team in 2018. Uh, I think he had a, a title something like head of technical development or something or other, which at the time you thought, oh, is, is, is he being lined up for a director of football one day? But Ineos have done due diligence on um, on Murta and, and Murta has been meeting uh, people from Ineos as well as they uh, go through the process of ratifying their 25% minority stake in United. And although... You know, Ineos are open to retaining him in, in in a different role as part of the structure, but it has to work for for both parties. So the, the way it's been described to me is that it's it's still seen as in the balance as to whether murder sticks around or not. And in any workplace, when whenever new decision makers come in, there's there's always bound to be change. And often, more often than not, someone's given the offer that you can stay, but it'll be a different role, or you can just go. So it, it remains in the balance as I say as to whether murder stays or goes but in you're certainly looking at someone to come in who has got a very proven track record in recruitment and Ashworth would be a very logical choice given that he's experienced in the Premier League he's dealt with English talent as well in his role at the FA which you know as you I think he left the FA in, in 2018 so that was just after England had got to the World Cup semi-final, so he did lay down a lot of groundwork there for them to have a more uh, auspicious future. And, and England are probably the, the, the favourites or joint favourites for the Euros in the summer. So 
they're, they're reaping rewards from from his 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 time there as well. I think he worked for the FA for about six years. He would be a very logical choice. You, some may argue, be a dream choice, but. Again, as you said, uh, you'd imagine Newcastle, given the work that he's overseen there, they would fight tooth and nail to ensure that he stays. I mean, regardless of whether that interest in Ashworth does progress, it is very encouraging that Ineos and Radcliffe are looking to get the best in class in, in these boardroom roles because that's just been the biggest problem over the last 10 years, hasn't it, since Sir Alex Ferguson mm-hmm. left the club. They need the best brains up there making the right decisions and they need football. You'll run in the football club. That's the bottom line. Um, we'll leave it there then, Samuel, because we're a bit pushed for time today, but thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. And thanks to listeners, as always. We'll hopefully we'll be back later in the week on Friday to look ahead to the West Ham game. Um, so stay tuned and, and have a little look out on whichever uh, device you listen on, whether that be Spotify, Apple or YouTube, to see our beautiful faces. Um, for the time being, have a great week and take care.